0: Welcome to another episode of Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for premium subscribers. In his new book, Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGuinness writes, An American-style Marxist revolution picked up momentum with former Vice President Joseph Biden's 2020 presidential election victory, and now with his cabal of co-conspirators, he's in the process of remaking America alongside his globalist allies, who together just might doom this country to historic oblivion. Could this be the catalyst that explains the absence of America in biblical end times prophecy and ushers in the biblically anticipated one world government? Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis graduated from the U.S. Military Academy, the Naval Postgraduate School, the Command and General Staff College, the Defense Language School and the Army War college's strategy course he's an airborne ranger infantry officer with service in four infantry divisions on three continents Once retired from the U.S. Army, he joined the Family Research Council where he rose to be the Vice President for Policy before returning to the Pentagon 16 years ago. He continues his association with the FRC by serving as the Senior Fellow for National Security. He's the Vice President for his contracting firm with duties at the Pentagon where he supervises a team of national security experts and serves as a security cooperation expert for the Department of the Army as well as instructing a course at the Army War College. He's the author of a number of books, including Future War, Deadly Consequences, Near Never Submit, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil, and, as I mentioned earlier, his latest, Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. Uh, Bob McGinnis, welcome back to the program. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, Richard. Thank you for having me this evening.
0: Uh, let's begin at the end. And, and um, you, you talk about America's absence in the biblical end times, uh, and, and you ponder whether America might be uh, one of the ten horns that is described in the end times uh, that becomes a, a subordinate to a one world government. I guess that comes from Revelation 1712. Uh, what do you mean that America is absent in biblical end times prophecy?
1: Well, prophetically, it does not appear as if the United States of America, as we know it today, uh, is is evidenced, is even spoken of, you know, in Ezekiel or in Revelation or any of the prophetic scriptures. And so uh, you can come to a, a variety of conclusions, one of which, of course, is what I'm suggesting here, is that uh, America, uh, something happens to it, that it is just whenever that, biblical end times is here and the Antichrist has come, that America is no longer the America that I've known since I was, you know, born into this country. So, uh, that's my conclusion. Um, And whether or not we're at the precipice of, you know, leading to that outcome, where America becomes non-consequential in today's world, or this is just another blip in the history of this 250-year-old country, and that we're going to rise again, and once again, you know, be a, a shining light on the, the the hill for you know people all over the world that seek, you know, the the types of virtues and principles that were undergirded in our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, and what America has been known for.
0: I remember in the I guess it was the late 1980s the presidential uh, election uh george herbert walker bush versus the democrat michael dukakis and back then if a liberal wanted to let's say slander a democrat they would refer to them as a liberal and uh democrats would even flee from that label although i think dukakis eventually embraced it and said yes i am a liberal uh I mean, that, that's, those seems like such naive times because now, as you point out in the book, in, in 2020, the isms of communism, Marxism, socialism, and progressivism were all on full display. How did we get from the Democrats running away from the word liberal to fully embracing Marxism and socialism?
1: Well, I think it's been a gradual process. Certainly, progressivism came to this country at the latter part of the uh, 19th, early 20th century, uh, and you had the likes of Woodrow Wilson. Of course, that was very progressive. Woodrow you know, Teddy Roosevelt was progressive, and we had an entire era well, which was known for that. Uh, and, and to a large degree, because yeah, I wrote a book, "Progressive Evil," I I, I liked. You know, some of the you know pro labor efforts, some of those efforts that g- gave women suffrage, uh, that did a host of things. However, uh, it also bred uh, big government. It bred uh, an anti-religion movement. It bred a host of other things, uh, and of course, that also welcomed uh, at the end of World War One. Uh, the likes of some of the Marxists, the communists that came over after the Russian Revolution. Uh, we saw their infiltration into uh, the labor unions. We saw John Dewey, of course, you know, in the lead up to World War II, inviting the Frankfurt School and a whole host of Jewish Marxists uh, seeking to abandon Germany because of Hitler's anti-Jewish uh, approach and they came to this country with the full intent of transforming america not only into what john dewey the father of progressivism and you know modern education this country sought to transform uh... but they wanted to radically change our morality and we saw that by virtue of what they did within our media what they did within the education establishment uh... as well as within hollywood itself uh... will with uh, Willie mertzenberger uh, who went out there and, you know, with a very clear conscience said, I'm going to, you know, really radically transform America and you know, change it in ways that uh is something contrary, radically contrary to what we had in mind. So you have a long history of sort of the infiltration to the decades of First, progressivism, then some communism, Marxism mixed in, and and all of these isms, as I out, outline in you know, "Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism," are really kind of on a sliding scale. Yeah, you know? and I, I really see that once you are you know, embracing socialism, you're only a step out of communism, and they're really. Undergirded with the foundation of uh, true Marxism, what Marx put to- together in Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto, and so forth, and many of his rice- writings, along with Eagle- Engels and others, uh, through the years. So, w- we've had a-, a long time coming to this. Where we are today, I think, to a large degree, is because we've abandoned our first love, the principles, the values that our founders gave us, and we've allowed. Uh, these individuals, these, this movement to take over some of the key institutions, the media, the education, uh, certainly uh, aspects of government and other parts of uh, America in a way that uh, has really radically transformed us from what we started off to be.
0: In in the first several chapters you, you kind of survey the changing attitudes towards some of these isms. Americans' views of capitalism versus socialism versus communism uh, and progressivism, uh, and, and, and you break it down according to different age cohorts. Can you just kind of summarize the the changing attitudes towards, let's say, uh, communism squaring off against capitalism, for example, or socialism squaring off against capitalism in America?
1: Well, certainly, uh, you know, when we, we think of socialism, uh, it's interesting that, you know, almost half, of 41 percent of Americans, uh, U.S. citizens, have a positive view of socialism. Now, the socialism they think of is, uh, quite frankly, uh, something very different than the socialism that, you know, grew up in the Soviet Union, in communist China, the Eastern Bloc, and so forth. Because socialism, after all, fear. Theo- As a theory, it says that state ownership of all property and the means of production. So, you know, most of them think of it really as a as kind of equal distribution of the assets. And everybody has uh, the same lifestyle, which which never ends up uh, to be that outcome. All you have to do is look at places like Cuba and Venezuela today, much less communist China, uh, which, of course, uh, has that. Uh, But socialism In comparison to capitalism, now capitalism, it's interesting uh, that uh, Winston Churchill, former prime minister uh, of Great Britain in World War II, uh, he, I think, appropriately stated that capitalism, of course, is the worst way to set up a society except for all the other ways. Free markets uh, allow for more innovative solutions and for more people to succeed. Now, that's his quote. Uh, it's it may not be perfect, but it works. It it allows us to be prosperous in this country. It's ar- arguably the the closest to the biblical uh, prescription for mankind today. Uh, and you know, when when you compare socialism uh, versus uh, just abject Marxism, Marxism itself you know is a political philosophy that you know really believes that a class struggle is going to you know, emerge because there's not an equal distribution of wealth among the citizens and and therefore this inequality you know leads to uh, this you know revolution and that inequality of course uh, you know creates a classless society where there's no private property and socialism you know emerges and then, of course, they do away with religion, which is obviously the first thing that a Marxist really does. We saw this in the 1917 revolution in Russia. We saw, saw this in the Eastern Bloc countries. We've seen this even in Cuba and Venezuela and, of course, communist China. And then, of course, uh, they try to substitute uh, the religion, which, of course, uh, Marx himself called it the uh, the opium, basically of mankind that 's a paraphrase, uh, because they s- seek comfort in uh, religion, but the, what Marxists want to do is put government in there. they want people to be totally dependent upon the the government, and you know that that explains uh, all of, of what life is about, and then of course they 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 deal with uh, the issues of a one-world government, which they ultimately want to push for. And of course, economics uh, determines all the legal, social, and political institutions. You know, so it's, a, it's an entire package uh, put together, arguably in the 19th century by Marx and Engel. They document it. Uh, we've seen some experiments, not all that successful with the Soviet Union, arguably not Successful at all, even today with Venezuela and Cuba, and of course uh, the communist Chinese. Uh, arguably, they've made a modification in order to have some economic zones and to kind of take some of what we have in the West and mix it with the totalitarianism of the Marxist communists that they've uh, have overseeing that government. So, uh, it's it's an interesting compilation of ideas, but what we basically have in this country is a bunch of naive people when it comes to socialism, progressivism, uh, because they don't understand where we started, and ultimately where we want to go is not what socialism is going to give us, and it's going to give us something, whatever it ends up being, uh, not what the majority of the people truly would like to have in the end.
0: Uh, Dennis Prager, I thought, put it quite well. He said that socialism gives us um, or sorry, capitalism gives us inequality of wealth, and socialism gives us equality of poverty. But w- what is the uh, appeal? I mean, anyone who just surveys history, you don't have to go back that far. Uh, every time it has been attempted, it has ended in abysmal failure when we look at, you know, maybe Venezuela as the most recent example. Is there a confusion because uh, with with young people and understanding, what socialism actually is, because they often point to the Nordic countries like Sweden as being an example uh, of socialism, where, in fact, it is it is perhaps even more free market in many ways than the United States.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that uh, the Scandinavian countries, in, in fact, are very much free market. I, I, uh, there's a dearth of understanding, uh, and to a large degree that's by design, because our government school systems uh, seldom teach the true history of uh, Marxism, communism, um, you know, the the black book of communism, which was written many decades ago, uh, chronicles, you know, the, the dire situation that millions of people fell into as a result of the, the linens and mouths of the world. And yet we don't hear about that uh, in our uh, academic environment. In fact, If you go to a lot of college uh, and university settings today, you'll find, especially in the liberal arts community and colleges, that they are teaching and using textbooks written by uh, many Marxists, certainly leftists, uh, that promote ideas, but they they seldom, if ever, talk about the the downside uh, of the theory of the ideology that they're promoting. And unfortunately, as a result, we have a lot of people in this country that are uh, just starkly naive when it comes to the real agenda uh, behind the likes of Marx, whether it was back in the 19th century or at the present day.
0: You, you quote Ayn Rand, uh, differentiating between socialism and communism, where communism is achieved through force and, and socialism is achieved through uh, the vote. So communism is murder and socialism is suicide. What are the, but, but what are the actual differences between communism and socialism?
1: Well, I think you know what you just quoted uh, is probably the most stark, and that is uh, in order for socialism to function, uh, you have to abandon uh, basically personal ownership of property, and that you have to uh, recognize that every contribution, no matter how talented, uh, deserves no more than what everyone else deserves. Uh, So the incentive to excel uh, is drained from the culture. And so prosperity is not something you seek. You're just seeking uh, the common good for everyone. Now, that may sound uh, very desirable, but the the reality is that the entrepreneurial spirit uh, that really made the West prosperous uh, is uh, embedded in in two ideas. One is the uh, the idea of the Protestant ethic that, of course, comes out of Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, John Calvin, arguably, uh, which was uh, linked up uh, to uh, entrepreneurship, which I can attribute to the the Catholic Roman Catholic Church and the bureaucracy that it was formed and the exchange of wealth that started back during uh, the Renaissance. And so that came, of course, to full bloom in the United States. So we found ourselves prosperous because we worked hard. Well, yeah, the, the Marxist doesn't want that. The Socialist doesn't want that. They want everybody to have, uh, no matter their talents or their effort, to, to have the same outcome. Uh, and that, unfortunately, uh, is a is a recipe for disaster something that uh, we've seen elsewhere in the world because ultimately people are, are there's going to be an elitist group uh people uh, the, the Lenin Stalins of the world the Khrushchevs of the world uh, they're not going to get along like the average uh Soviet citizen you know I I I visited the Soviet Union many years ago when uh, it was still under communist rule traveled from Moscow and Leningrad, I saw the the average citizens, uh, they were very different than the elite in the Kremlin, and and that was true in the East Bloc countries. It's true even today uh, if you go to Beijing and you talk to President Xi and then you go down to perhaps one of the Western uh, provinces where you have Uyghurs that are in jail or in prison as slave labor. So... uh, the, the diversity uh, the inequality uh, the socialistic you know ideals are just are not a reality when we look at see how they actually evolve through the years
0: and what about uh, the neo-marxists uh, for example black lives matter they the founders uh, say that they are well versed in Marxist ideology uh, but but are they truly Marxist. What is neo-Marxism?
1: <laughs> well, it's what they want it to be. Um, and they use the uh, the labels to promote a socialistic outcome. But the reality is that they're promoting their own welfare and their own power. Uh, the power resides within the elite. And as a result, uh, most people suffer while the, the few prosper. Uh, I, I I make the argument, uh, and give me liberty not Marxism, that a a lot of what we see here is a byproduct of uh, a very, uh, arguably a satanic, a demonic influence that runs from the time in which Marx himself, who had a, a very dark history, and it really has threads throughout the history of Marxism, Communism, Socialism, and Progressivism. And those tentacles are rather consistent. You know, I, I, I write, as you know, uh, Richard, in the, in the book that Marx himself, uh, interestingly to his own father, he said of Marx that he was governed by a demon. And, you know, Marx's own son referred to his father as my dear devil. And Ingalls, his partner in writing so much, the Communist Manifesto, Das Kapital, and so forth, called Marx a monster of 10,000 devils, and his own wife called him a wicked knave. So, you know, this guy was truly, even his writings and his public speaking, was truly a very evil person. And that that evilness, if, if I can coin the word, uh, kind of, you know, goes forward through his ideology, and it's picked up even in the Soviet Union, and we I, I try to attest to that in a in a variety of examples uh, that I put in Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. And then, of course, even Solzhenitsyn, who, of course, is the famous author, uh, the philosopher of the Soviet era. Uh, he said before the Soviet Union fell that um, it basically... And I'll quote here that within the philosophical system of Marx and Lenin, and at the heart of their psychology, hatred of God is the principal driving force, more fundamental than all their political and economic pretensions. End quote. And so uh, th- there's an evilness about it. You know, you don't have to necessarily believe in God. What you need to understand is these guys were very evil, and. That comes out in their ideology. It it follows through the ages and all you know, I mentioned the Black Book of Communism. You can see the the rancid trail of death that followed not only Lenin and Stalin and Khrushchev all the way to Gorbachev, and you see the trail of blood from the likes of Mao the Cultural Revolution from 68 to 75, you see all of that, and you, you you could scratch your head and say there was something very evil about these forces. And yet, uh, naively, in this country, we have a revolution, arguably, that's not that different right now from the Cultural Revolution that struck Ah, uh, China in the sixties and seventies, and it's come to this country. And in a way, it's promoted by what I call uh, basically a cabal of players that are promoting this. You know, and I I document uh, that the Democratic Party and I demonstrate you know the the communist influence through known very public groups, communist. Uh, saying, yes, we're, we're aligned with them, their ideology we believe in. You see the same thing, of course, in the influence of the communist Chinese, and they're all over the United States today in the media, uh, both the entertainment and the news. Uh, they, of course, are in our college campuses and our schoolhouses uh, all over. And I have go through that, the education establishment, the mainstream media, Uh, of course, a variety of secret societies that promote the elitism that, you know, I've spoken of already. And then, of course, uh, you mentioned Antifa and Black Lives Matter. I call them the ground troops, the Marxist-inspired ground troops. Yes, they may be, quote, neo-Marxist, but they're using many of the same tools that we saw used by the likes of Lenin, Stalin, and others through the years. Uh, But at the same time, uh, the elite that run those organizations are themselves uh, a part, and they're doing quite well. Thank you.
0: Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, author of "Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism," uh, a little earlier you mentioned the Marxists' disdain for God, uh, but they also hate the family. In fact, it, it used to be uh, Black Lives Matter. It used to be on their website. It, that they sought the destruction of the nuclear family, as they saw it as a, a, a tool of oppression. Why is the family uh, antithetical to, to Marxism?
1: Well, the family goes back to God. Uh, you know, af- after all, that's you know, biblically, you know, Adam and Eve, and the prosperity of mankind is linked to uh, the you know to structure, the family structure of a of a committed mom and dad with children that, you know, grow their culture, grow their communities, and so forth. But they do. You know, They. it's interestingly, uh, during the late 20s, early 30s, uh, under Lenin, uh, the Soviet Union tried to destroy the family. And so they basically threw uh, morality and caution to the wind, and uh, they tried to promote uh, free sex, you know, much like what we saw in the United States during the uh, late 60s and early 70s during the Vietnam War uh, demonstration hippie era and so forth, uh, they did it back then. And quickly, they came to the realization that this was not uh, working out all that well, primarily because uh, women weren't having sufficient children. They weren't rearing them appropriately. The men were not working as they should and so forth. So the destruction of the family is fundamental you know, from uh, an ideological perspective, much like uh, the institution of government, much like the uh, Many other institutions. Uh, certainly, uh, when you consider uh, the, say, the the media or the education establishment, which those institutions arguably have already been taking captive, uh, and some of the strategies that we've seen that have really been demonstrated over the last almost 100 years it is pretty self-evident that there was a design to really take them captive. Uh, arguably, uh, the infiltration of institutions is outlined by Italian communist Antonio Gramsci. And of course, he, he writes in his own you know, material, which some people refer to as a long march through institutions. Basically, you get in there and you take those institutions captive by uh, ideologically minded people that, you know, embrace your particular, in this case, communist or Marxist, uh, viewpoint. And we saw that in the education through John Dewey and others that I pointed out earlier. Then, of course, you have uh, people getting into government and using the public policy to influence institutions. And uh, there there are many people, such as uh, a number of academics at Columbia University and elsewhere, that really embrace the ideas that Saul Alinsky in his rules for radicals permitted or, or advocated, and basically, you know, the idea, the principle, is to make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. The idea behind that, basically, is that, for instance, the the U.S. government uh, was created a welfare state by leftists or liberal-minded people <laughs> that wanted to help people, but they use that as a public policy agenda in order to try to bankrupt the country and to drive it into further debt. Uh, so that was one way in which you take captive uh, a an institution, in this particular case, government. And arguably, given the national debt we have today uh, and some of the things Nancy Pelosi and President Biden are advocating with trillions and trillions of more debt, uh, they're doing quite well uh... there are other strategies that i outline in give me liberty not marxism that you know really demonstrate how you can take over institutions whether they be government or family or media or education and so forth and you do it in many cases through uh... infiltration within and then of course beginning to change it inside in order to cause it to go in the direction that you want uh, and you know, I talk about you know the controlling of language. Uh, obviously, all public communications, and we see that happening within the culture today. Those are all part and parcel of, of changing institutions.
0: Let's talk about capitalism. You you mentioned that it it is the system that most closely aligns with the biblical prescription for life, um, but. How does it do that? I mean, it's not mentioned specifically in the Bible, capitalism
1: that's right, it's not um, Well, it's an economic system that made and keeps of course America prosperous, and I don't think you know people that have are true capitalists would disagree with that. It fuels the idea of free enterprise. It allows the individual to operate businesses with minimal government interference, which is critical. And then, of course, the state's role in that particular uh, situation is basically to enforce the laws that protect private property and maintain a stable currency. So when you have that collaborative relationship with a government keeping its hands out of the uh, the business of the entrepreneur who is able to use what they own to be prosperous, uh, then you have a, arguably a a good and a, an effective capitalist system. Now, biblically, uh, you know, there, if you look at uh, what the Bible says behaviors that are consistent with biblical principles are found throughout you know proverbs has it talks about acquiring and handling wealth uh... it talks about the the worth and dignity of every individual in the eyes of god uh... it 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 talks about you know working hard getting a a good outcome uh... And promoting equal opportunity now it doesn't talk about of course what leftists talk about, and that is equity versus equality, equality being part of the uh, Declaration of Independence and instilled principally within the Constitution of the U.S. But what happens, interestingly, with regard to Marxism or communism is that it, it promotes division, and we've seen that in critical race theory and so forth. It doesn't promote equality. It, it seeks to replace all religion, of course, with itself. Uh, Marxism retains all the major structural and, interestingly, emotional factors of biblical religion in a secularized form, however. So it becomes the, the I suppose, the religion of the masses by virtue of turning their hearts toward you know, dependence upon big government. And we see that happening even today with the the big spending programs in the United States where, you know, we're we're trying to do away with uh, the entrepreneur by really paying people not to work and we're having a tough time getting jobs, people to take jobs. And as a result, you know, inflation's uh, taking off and we're having a, uh, a real battle, uh, trying to recover where we were before uh, some of the these leftists came into government. So there are a host of issues, but biblically, I don't. It doesn't talk about capitalism within the scriptures, um, but it does talk about the principles and values that undergird uh, the entrepreneur and that if you. If you're going to eat, you're going to have to work, and those sorts of things are pretty consistent through the scriptures.
0: We've done a lousy job explaining or selling capitalism to younger generations because I think it's often done in a very materialist fashion. Well, if it wasn't for capitalism, you wouldn't have that cell phone in your hand, you wouldn't have Instagram and TikTok and all of these things. Um, it's, not, it's not a great sales job. Uh, younger people, I think, of they think of capitalism uh, and they equate it with uh the excesses of capitalism uh of crony capitalism of uh, greed and maybe environmental degradation in their minds um how can we better sell capitalism to young people maybe less from a material point of view and more from a dare i say justice point of
1: view yeah uh well, equal opportunity, you know, it, and of course that goes to the equity argument. But I think educationally we have not done a very good job of promoting the virtues of capitalism. As I said earlier, what Winston Churchill has said, you know, capitalism may be the worst way of uh, to set up a society except for all the others. You know, what we've seen with communism, socialism, Marxism is that it really saps the initiative out of people to work. My own stepmother, you know, fled from the communist Czechoslovakia before she died. I, I talked to her about life in that system. And people, you know, didn't look forward to working. Uh, they only look forward to trying to beat their neighbor at the breadline or getting the, the best products that they could. But it was a dismal life uh capitalism is full of promises uh some people actually enjoy those outcomes and some of them don't as much but where we have equal opportunity uh especially in the united states where we don't contemplate you know, that or suffer suffer uh or create a situation where we're forcing people to do something that they don't want to do. If they do it by their own will, and they do it uh, by their own initiative, uh, and they prosper, uh, then others see that, and they want to work hard and have the same outcome. Uh, some people will not do that, obviously. And we need to, through charity, and I deal with the charity issue and Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, we need to help those that are less fortunate but at the same time, we shouldn't hold back those uh, that can be incredibly productive. It's in the West where we have, as you indicated, Richard, all these great inventions. You wouldn't have those great inventions uh, if you were in a socialist environment, because there's no extra reward for working very, very hard. Uh, they, They just sap all of that energy out of you and and fundamentally i don't think we teach that in the schools and we need to make sure that people understand that ideology and the way in which you form your government the way in which you run your culture is significant and the freedoms that we have in the united states our civil liberties uh... certainly our our ability to work hard and prosper are things that we should cherish and we should promote uh, and help those that are less fortunate. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, that's lost on much of our uh, elite education establishment. And as a result, I think that you know, people begin to get discouraged. And so this idea of socialism and, and perhaps Marxism begins to creep in.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. one-world, totalitarian government. What What is in it for people like Joe Biden, who, you know, prior to uh, coming to, to power or, or prior to be becoming elected president, never really struck me as being particularly socialist? Or even Kamala Harris. I know she's been described as, you know, the most radical of the senators, but to me she seems more like an opportunist. If she knew that she could get into power by being... A conservative, she would be that. She's a kind of a chameleon. Why are they? Why is the Democratic Party all in on communist China? The Chamber of Commerce, um, you know, woke corporations. Why are they all in on communist China?
1: Fair question. Arguably, communist China uh, has been the. Uh, success story, perhaps, of the last 50 years, having come from uh, the dire time in the early 70s when Kissinger took Nixon over there, what 72, and and basically opened the communist regime to the rest of the world, and we gave them WHO or uh, you know all sorts of uh, assistance to you know, make their economy into something that it became uh, that and of course they began to spread you know, the, their riches around but those only you know, happened with uh, strings attached and so when you hear about you know media you know whether it be in Hollywood uh, seeking Beijing's approval for the latest movie it's because they want access to the 1.4 billion people and uh, China, uh, to show them their movie so that they can get rich as well. But the Chinese know how to manipulate people, and that's part of uh, the the behind-the-scenes uh, agenda that the likes of the very hegemonic, ambitious uh, President Xi of China uh, has in mind. After all, he said by the middle of this century he wants to be the world's not only leading economic power, but also the world's leading uh, military power. But how do they persuade people to come to their side? Well, I think to a certain degree it's through promises that are very empty for the most part. Uh, but the, uh, the Chinese have embraced, and I outline in there uh, what I consider five lines of effort in order to become... Uh, globally uh, significant, maybe create a one-world government. Uh, Their idea that they're using Belt and Road Initiative to uh, promote uh, these so-called supranational bodies uh, so that they can take over uh, by leveraging loans that they provide countries for infrastructure, and we've seen that from Sri Lanka to Belgium to Uh, You everywhere else, 140 nations around the world, Uh, we've seen also how they've uh, not only stolen technology, but enticed Western technology to come to China, and then, of course, used it to their own advantage. And then, of course, they've used unrestricted warfare to manipulate uh, large uh, bodies of people uh, that are envious of the wealth that they could get. Uh that's how they've manipulated the NBA. That's how they've been, uh, manipulated uh, Google, uh Microsoft through contracts uh and the like. So I, I think, you know, whether it's uh the Kamala Harris who, you know, is sort of a chameleon who uh evidently uh, given her background does have uh, a leftist leaning anyway because of her associations uh, at Stanford with her sister and her parents and uh, her, you know, sleeping companions with uh, there in San Francisco. Uh, but you also have the likes of Mr. Biden, who sees, you know, China has in the past, uh, vis-a-vis his own son, offered some rather lucrative opportunities and uh, have advanced his own political agenda. Uh, and arguably, if you look at uh, what has happened in the last election, that uh, the Communist Chinese use their media outlets and a variety of other mechanisms uh, to favor Mr. Biden over Mr. Trump, because Trump just wasn't you know, meeting what uh, President Xi had in mind economically and geopolitically. So th- there are a host of issues. They cross one, uh, one area into another. Whether it's economic or politics or even military, uh, these are all issues of uh, some gravity. Uh, you know, I don't think any anyone can clearly articulate why Mr. Biden has uh, become who he has become as a result, which is a surprise, uh, I think, to most of us. But you know, when I started writing "Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism," uh, about the time of the election. I had every reason to believe that what we have seen over the last nine months was indeed going to be what we've seen, you know. And I I list not only, you know, the initiatives that he's taken about the border, about uh, leftist violence, uh, about uh, the promotion of CRT, the weakening of the military, uh, and also even giving the backhand to some of our key allies these are things that are so typical of what we've seen historically uh, from the likes of others that were more inclined to call themselves communist or marxist. so uh, it's just the way it has has evolved, and it may get even worse in the in the near term
0: well, uh, in the near term or midterm or long term, I mean we we are seeing uh you know parents standing up now at local school board meetings pushing back uh with great you know vigor uh against critical race theory and and uh a radical gender ideology um uh, and the liberalization of sex and being taught to children in, in school and so forth we are we are seeing uh populist movements across europe rising up now um, what is the state of uh i guess where are we at in this revolution in the united states it, it, can it be can it be reversed at the ballot box uh or what what measures have to be taken to to push back this red tide
1: well it is a red tide and i agree the the c r t uh and you know, some of you know, the, the immigration issues, uh, you know, the the spending issues, uh, certainly the, the leftist regulations that we're beginning to see in the United States and so forth. Uh, those are all similar historically uh, to what we've seen uh, in other regimes uh, in the past. You know, I, there was a lady here uh, at Loudoun County, which is a fairly famous North Virginia uh uh, county. She spoke at, of course, the school board. And this lady, Chi uh, then Fleet, uh, was an immigrant from communist China. And let me just quote her for a second. And she told the um, school board when they were addressing CRT, she said, quote, to me and to a lot of Chinese, it is heartbreaking that we escaped communism and now we, are, we experience communism here. She continued, the communist regime used the same critical theory to divide people. The only difference is they use class instead of race, end quote. Uh, So we're seeing that now. Yes, we do have a lot of parents that are absolutely irate about the, not only CRT, but about the content of what their children are being taught. They are getting involved. They are running for school board. And these are encouraging signs. Uh, We will know in November of 2022 uh, whether or not uh, the disgust with the the overspending by Ms. Pelosi and her slim majority of Democrats in the House of Representatives, Mr. Schumer's uh, dominance with the the help of uh, Kamala Harris in the Senate, uh, and Mr. Biden's own uh, radical ideas. We'll see if that can be reversed with an election. Unfortunately, uh, as you know, Richard, uh, memories uh, often fade uh, with new situations. Now, given Mr. Biden's track record over the last eight, nine months, uh, he seems to fall on his face every. Week or so with one new crisis after another we 'll have to wait and see if that has true consequence at the ballot box, assuming that uh, we do have a fair election, uh, which I think a lot of us are somewhat uh, concerned about, uh, given the uh, mail in balloting and, and other issues that have been brought to the forefront over the last uh, number of months so Uh, I would say that you're right, there is an uptick, not only here but in Western Europe. But even, you know, I I notice that the Germans, uh, it it looks as if the uh, the far right party and the far left party uh, have lost uh, uh, membership in, uh, what, the Bundestag. Uh, And as a direct result, uh, you know, the the middle parties are, are yeah, uh, well, it's the SPD. I could be wrong on that. It's not the CPU uh, that they have uh, really regained some of their past um, uh, power or numbers in in the Bundestag. Uh, I, years ago, I was over in um, Vienna, Austria, when they had the Freedom Party uh, won a a sizable minority. In the Austrian Parliament, and I had the opportunity of interviewing Jörg Haider, who was, of course, the Freedom Party, the far right. The he was called a Nazi and so forth uh, by uh, his uh, opponents. But what happened, what which was interesting, is that you know it was a real shock to the uh, the liberals in that particular government, that you would have um, a, a more nationalist uh, type of uh, political party that would begin to take uh, the, a fairly sizable minority of the population's allegiance. And that in, its, in itself, of course, uh, has continued. We've seen the, the same thing in France and the Netherlands and, and obviously in Poland and Hungary and so forth. Um, so I, I actually am fairly optimistic about some of the European partners. Um, of course, I'm not as close to them as I am to what's going on in the United States. Um, I'm optimistic, somewhat, uh, that we're going to be able to cobble this back together after uh, Mr. Biden and his cadre of of home wreckers continue. Uh, for the next uh, year, but uh, once we reach November 22, I think that that's going to be a very telling time, Uh, and I'm optimistic at this point that that Democrats can be put aside and that they'll stop the steamrolling tactics of the Biden administration.
0: Well, of course, politics, as they say, downstream from culture, and it's the cultural institutions that are far less ephemeral than the political institutions and that is where I guess the heavy sledding is is to transform those cultural institutions away from cultural Marxism and back to more um, uh, Judeo-Christian uh, and American values Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis Give Me Liberty Not Marxism. How do we get a copy of the book Bob?
1: Well it's on Amazon it's, it's certainly in uh, Target uh, Walmart. It's Uh, Barnes and Nobles, it's everywhere uh, that you buy the books. And hopefully that, uh, you know, if you're concerned about this culture, if you're concerned about where uh, the United States, uh, not only domestically, but geopolitically is going, uh, I think that this provides some insight as to uh, where we've been, where we're going, and how we can go about reversing that. And especially for Christians that our concern that this might be the beginning of the end. I don't know that we're necessarily there, but uh, we certainly need to be involved and care about our country and the direction uh, that we're going. Give
0: me liberty, not Marxism. certainly belongs in every nightstand stand and in every library, and we need to arm ourselves for the battle ahead. Bob, always a great pleasure. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, thank you, Richard.